0: Hi everyone, welcome to Dishin' with Digest, now on Spotify, so listen on Spotify. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi everyone. Well, Mara, the coronavirus pandemic is affecting daytime in a host of different ways, both on camera and off camera. So, Young and Restless's Greg Rickard, who plays Kevin, has shared his battle with the virus online, and he's now happily on the mend, as is Day's alum Christy Clark, who played Carrie. So, she's now living in the United Kingdom with her family, and she and her husband were both sick, but are now thankfully doing better. And it's so great in a way that we can really keep up with everyone on social media and sort of track their progress. Absolutely. But, you know, we also got word that, sadly, the 47th annual Daytime Emmys, which were scheduled to take place in June in Pasadena, California, have been canceled. But voting continues. So we will see a list of nominees, I imagine. Um, I know Natus is working to figure out how to best recognize the honorees later this year. So... You know, hopefully we'll see something about that the next few weeks. You know, I mean, of course, it's the right thing to do. No question. But on a selfish note, I'm
1: just so sorry that we won't have this year's ceremony. I I am, too. I mean, there were some amazing performances last year, as there are every year. And, you know, people to be denied that experience of going on the stage, it's really sad for them. But, of course, in light of everything, I understand the position that that they took about postponing or canceling the ceremony. Um, so then, you know, a whole other issue, of course, is the matter of how the shows plan to deal with the possibility that they will not be able to safely go back into production without creating a disruption in their normal broadcasting schedule. Um, as we've noted, days shoot so many months ahead that this really isn't an issue for them, but GH has announced that to make the episodes they have shot last as long as they possibly can. They will begin airing Encore episodes on Fridays beginning today and continuing through May 22nd. GH, which just celebrated its 57th anniversary earlier on April 1st is kicking this off with last year's anniversary episode. And I know I'm not alone in hoping that eventually they're able to dip back a little further into the archives. There are like no shortage of amazing classic episodes of GH that fans would absolutely love to see again. And I think this is a real opportunity to make lemonade out of lemons and really make this an event.
0: Uh, Oh, yeah. Like, count me in for revisiting the, oh, I don't know, who shot Diana Taylor storyline, the Ice Princess (laughs) storyline, Luke and Laura's wedding. I mean, you get my drift. Um, Young and Restless also seems to have something planned as well. We've seen some of the actors posting online about doing special segments from home. So we'll see how that show, as well as B&B, deal with the shutdown. Um, and, you know, we've mentioned what an opportunity it is to have so many people at home, people who used to watch Soaps and maybe, like, fell out of watching. Uh-huh. And, you know, classic episodes are such a fun way to, like, incentivize people to tune in again. Um, count me as someone who is super excited to see what the shows come up with.
1: Yeah, me too. And in the meantime, there is a lot of good stuff still airing in the new episodes that Soaps are broadcasting. Uh, for example, the baby switch storyline on Days seems to be coming to a head very rapidly.
0: Oh, yeah, and we will see our guest today get a lot of play in that one. Um, We're actually talking to Paul Telfer, who plays Xander, you know, a character that was initially brought on in 2015 and has been in and out of town, like, wrecking havoc ever since. Uh You know, he's really been played as a romantic leading man in this current pairing with Sarah, and, you know, it's an about face to some extent for what the initial concept of the character was, but, you know, it works, and these two have really proven to be a popular pairing.
1: Yeah, I think Xander's trajectory is so similar in a lot of ways to that of um, G.H.'s Valentine. He came on in 2016 as like a role that had been billed as the most nefarious of the Kasadai and someone even Helena feared. And he proved himself to be a villain when basically like five seconds after we met him, he was responsible for Nicholas's death. Uh, although we now know that reports of that were greatly exaggerated. Um But when the show decided that they wanted to keep James Patrick Stewart, Valentin was sort of humanized in a variety of ways, not the least of which was that he fell head over heels in love with Nina.
0: Well, you know, I mean, it does seem on soaps that the love of a good woman has redemptive powers for sure. Um, You know, Xander and Valentin are just two of the examples in a long line of villains who became flawed leading men. From, you know, YNR's Victor Newman to Another World's Carl Hutchins to All My Children's David Hayward. You know, it'll be interesting to see if Xander can weasel his way out of the baby switch situation once the truth comes out. Um, You know, but the character always does seem to bounce back regardless.
1: Yeah, I think often like the most successful characters in daytime are the ones who can kind of lean in both directions, like toward being a white knight and toward being a black hat. And it's always interesting to see how the writers managed to dig characters out of whatever holes they have gotten into as a result of their bad actions and managed to keep them viable on the canvas. Like um, back when GH's Julian was holding a knife to Alexis's throat, I didn't necessarily think he would still be on the show four years later. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I'm not at all saying that I wish Julian had gone off to Pentonville never to be seen again. But I think in daytime, it's almost like more common for people who do bad things to get away with it, because often it's the people who are doing the bad things who are driving the action and hence are like really valuable to the writers.
0: Oh, well, these are definitely the characters who give the writers so much freedom, you know, I can see why they tend to be so enduring at the same time. Um, and certainly the team at Days has found a lot to do with our guest today. As I mentioned, it's Paul Telfer, who plays Xander. Let's get him on the phone and see what he thinks about his alter ego and his Salem experience. Hi, Paul.
2: yeah. How
0: are you doing? Hi. Thanks for joining us.
3: Oh, thanks for having me. How are you holding up?
0: Holding up okay. What about you?
3: Yeah, not too bad. Um, We were lucky. My wife and I spent a lot of time apart. She's been getting a a new show ready on Broadway. And um, right before her very first preview, her first performance, they got the news that they were shutting down Broadway, like literally the evening of. Oh, my God. Set up on stage for the first time. And that's right when I was due to finish work on Days and, and go straight to Burbank Airport and fly to New York. And just all in the span of like an hour and a half, everything changed. And so we've gone from essentially spending half the year apart and me only visiting when I get time off from work to us being like flung back into the apartment together for who knows how long. So we're lucky to to be together, but it's still, you know, a bit of an adjustment. Oh my God.
0: So are you on the West Coast or the East Coast?
3: Yeah, we're on the West Coast now.
0: Okay. Got it. Okay, well, uh, we thought this would be just the perfect time to talk to you. There's so much going on with Xander uh, currently right. on camera, um, but let's start with you. So first, you hail from Paisley, Scotland. Um, That's right. Tell us what it was like to grow up there.
3: Well, it's cold. Um, I remember <laughs> my my darkest memories of uh, of uh, Scotland, or yeah, how cold it was. Um, the strict uniform I had to wear to school uh B- Bushy's school was just around the corner from where we actually lived I lived on the the out on the perimeter fence line of what was then the Grant's whiskey distillery so that was you know that was a real uh cultural touchstone and something that you know it was it was good to start my lifelong affair with whiskey so young I guess <laughs> <laughs> but um but then we we, i left uh uh, scotland did most of my high school in england and um so i've always had that like yearning and um you know childhood fondness uh for scotland in the particular part of scotland that i came from which is very like hilly and green and lush but to then also have the other part of my childhood in England, it's it's nice to kind of feel like a, like a child of both places, if you know what I mean, although my part is always with Scotland and from Scotland. It's kind of nice to have the, the contrast as well because um, I ended up living all over England before I moved to the States. Um, so I feel very British, if you know what I mean. Uh-huh. I
2: know what you, know what you mean. mean?
3: Like, yeah, like, uh, you know, as much as, you know, I, I claim... I am Scottish and I, I claim Scotland, but I also feel, you know, very uh, British and... Uh, lucky to have you know lived all over uh the country but yeah my fondest memories of of scotland for sure are like toddling in in the the cold winters and eating shortbread and and lots of cups of tea
1: (laughs) so how did you discover your interest in performing well
3: there's no one in my family's ever done it there's no like legacy of of, uh, entertainment or anything like that it was I don't know, it's, I just, it, it seemed like a very obvious thing. Like, it, I just assumed everybody wanted to do it. And so whenever there was a school play or, or any excuse to, like, thrust myself in front of people, I would tend to, to take it. But it only really became serious when I started to realize that there were people that weren't interested in doing it and that it was actually a choice I was making. It wasn't just some natural inclination that everybody had to want to perform. And I enjoyed singing and I enjoyed acting and I really enjoyed sports, you know, which are all in their ways, you know, a form of performance, you know, especially, you know, obviously when people are watching. And so I got a lot of all of them, but I kind of always assumed that I was going to be an athlete most of the way through high school. The problem I had is that the two sports I was actually good at, you couldn't make any money at them. I was really into martial arts and rugby. (laughs)
1: You
3: know, unless you became Jean-Claude Van Damme, Uh, There wasn't really a a pathway to, you know, massive success running a a dojo in Scotland or Nottingham or something. Um, So whereas at the same time uh, that I was playing a lot of rugby and doing a lot of martial arts and starting to do competitions and stuff, I was also getting bigger and bigger parts in school plays. And then more often I was finding myself choosing the responsibilities attached to the play more than I would the responsibilities attached to the sport. and I started to realize that's what I really wanted to do. But even then I thought it was unrealistic and thought I'd be, you know, a fireman or a soldier or, or some kind of like physical job. But I was just very fortunate that I had some some teachers that were very encouraging and, and thought that I had a, a bit of a chance at a career and encouraged me to, you know, go and study and pursue it. And then if it didn't work out, I could fall back on one of those other jobs later. And also I guess I realized as much as I wanted to be in the military or, or be a heroic fireman or something like that. What I really wanted to do was be those things in the movies because there was a much lower risk of death. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. uh, to pay the bills before you made a living as an actor, you were a bouncer. You painted roofs, you taught English as a second language, and you did data entry at IBM. Which of these was the best job and which was the worst?
3: I mean, I enjoyed all of them in their ways. I mean, anything that isn't what you really want to be doing is a bit of a, of a chore, obviously. But I've, I was always a bit work shy. <laughs> I think that's part of the reason uh, acting was so good, because you know, even if you're doing well, you you tend to be out of work a lot. Um, but the the notion of some of these jobs would be more um, stressful than the actual performance of those jobs, if you know what I mean. And so, like looking back, I tend to just only remember the good things about them um Like some of my happiest memories of London were being up on the top of uh, a roof, like painting them with this special organic white paint. And then for years after I did that and was no longer, you know, just supporting myself purely off acting, when I'd get the the bus or the taxi down to Heathrow to fly to LA, I would often drive past um, buildings whose roofs I painted. So it was like that was always a nice wow. feeling, you know. Yeah, I was like getting cool. off to do something in, in California. But the biggest, like, of the jobs that I did prior to becoming an actor, the most useful and the most informative as I've gone on through life and you know this career was I spent a small amount of time as a, as a salesman, basically doing like door-to-door sales. And getting rejected like 98% of the, the time just to try and get like a couple of sales a day to make your quota,
2: mm-hmm. it really builds a
3: huge amount of character and exactly the kind of um, – tenacity that you need if you're gonna well that most unless you get incredibly lucky and just, you know, become a movie star right out the right at the gate. Like you're gonna deal with a lot of rejection in this job. So it was very very good to go through it in a lower stakes at a younger age, you know what I mean? hmm
0: Oh, you must have some stories about going door to door, I would
3: imagine. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> mostly <laughs> embarrassing and, and mostly embarrassing for me. But um but yeah, look it's a lot of good experience there. And the same with the, the bouncer stuff, you know, that the biggest thing about being a bouncer for me was teaching me that um, being ag- aggressive and, and being a, a tough guy isn't necessarily the, the smartest way to handle a dangerous or potentially a dangerous situation. That sometimes being calm and uh, communicative and sober <laughs> is <laughs> the best thing you can do. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, well, tell us about some of your early acting jobs.
3: Well, I mean, the first couple were pretty terrible um they were (laughs) these um very low budget sitcoms um that the equivalent of it would be the equivalent of like i'm trying to think what what an equivalent american station would be to the it was basically on sky tv which is a british satellite um company like a bit like cable but americans would bold cable and um it was one of their very first self-produced productions but it was incredibly cheap and shot in spain and i i did um a guest star on one of their shows that was called uh it's just got, even the title terrible called is harry on the boat which is a <laughs> yeah uh which is it, it in itself was cockney rhyming slang for a um a very rude sexual act that I've, you know i probably won't share it you on so Proper digest but you can google it if, or or on or, or, or any or sorry on any of the but sort of you, know, you can google it if you have to and yeah. i played a i played a what was that? i was like a rival holiday rep who was a bad dancer that was pretty much my my character's arc was revealing that i couldn't dance i guess and of course there was some shirtlessness at the end
2: mm-hmm. and then
3: a few months after I, well not even like maybe two months after i did that the same um network essentially hired me to do a different show and again just a a guest star in which I played a well you thought I was a pilot and then the twist was I was actually a stripper and that one's notable because it was the first time I had a a stunt double but the stunt double was for full frontal nudity because um, (laughs) my character in the show had a very uh, specific piercing that I was not prepared to get (laughs) for the money that they were were paying me (laughs) to do that particular show um, so yeah, they, they brought a, they brought a very nice young man in to, to uh, do that, that one shot for me, and, um, <laughs> and and hilariously that was the first thing my now wife ever saw me do on television, was this uh, full frontal stripper nudity, and somehow she still wanted to date me, and we're still together, so I guess it worked out. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: um, actually speaking of Carmen, um, you you tied the knot in 2012, but you've been together mm-hmm. since 2003. Um, so That's
3: how right. did you meet? Well, we met through mutual friends that were working in musical theatre in London. My good uh, flatmate, well, he was he's my good friend who I ended up living with because he owns a, an apartment. And I was in desperate need of an apartment because it turned out the place that I was living in was full of psychopaths. Oh. And we were working <laughs> together. I mean, I'm, I'm <laughs> um, okay. we, were working, <laughs> we were working together at a fish restaurant and I just came in late to the shift one day I was like, oh my God, I've got to move apartments. He was like, oh, my flatmate's moving out. Why don't you move him to my place? And it was double the rent that I had been paying, but I was just like, enough's enough. I can't deal with, you know, this living situation anymore. So I just, you know, bit the bullet and then ended up staying with him for for years. But he, on his, you know, he would just work in restaurants when he wasn't working in West End Theatre. And he had just done a show with Carmen in, uh, in Ireland. It was basically like a, huge budget concert version of Les Miserables, where and Carmen had been playing Fontaine on Les Mis on and off for like seven years and um he just went on you know he he knew that I'd just gotten back from America and was looking to go back to America and, and have my career over there and Carmen was American he's like you should just you know you, you like American people you should you should meet her and then we would just keep rubbing shoulders off and on you know because we lived in the, the same kind of neighborhood in north london and then uh maybe six months after that mark and his other friend uh were writing a new musical and they'd written a, a role for carmen and a role for me and they wanted us to just you know um, do them at like this little reading that they were doing at soho house in london for some producers you know some potential backers and Carmen was back on Les Mis at that point. And we knew that she was going to be a little bit late because she was doing her matinee show. And we timed our reading where she could come over and do it on her break before coming back over to do an evening show. I mean, you know, an absolute trooper. and We were very grateful for her to do it. But we were waiting for her to arrive. And I just made sure... I already had a bit of a crush on her by that point. So I just made sure that the only empty chair at the <laughs> reading was next to me. Nice. And that there was... We, we were one script short, so she'd have to share my script.
2: <laughs> Got it all planned <laughs> out. I like it. Yeah,
3: it's, it's a bit zany, a little bit mischievous. A little bit <laughs> yeah. Um, and so we shared the script. And then she had to go back and do a evening show. And all the, uh, the other actors that had been involved just proceeded to get really, really drunk. at it House. And back then, I was teetotal. So by the time Carmen came back, I was the only sober person that she could talk to. <laughs> <laughs> and we've pretty much been together ever since.
0: So, yeah, it, it worked out. Um. Now, so nine years, did it? Did you get any pressure from people that you weren't married yet in that time? No,
3: it, it was never really like that because, you know, everybody understood that, you know, even, so, you know, Carmen and I have been together for two or three months. When I got a job, my first real good job, after playing all these strippers with their willies hanging out, I got to do a, a proper good acting job in this American production of Spartacus that was shooting in Eastern Europe, like mostly Bulgaria, which just changed everything for me. That was like a real job with real famous, amazing actors. And I just learned so much and got to do so much during that time. And then after that, just started spending, you know, weeks, months of the year in Los Angeles. Um so we always spent a lot of time apart. So Our families on on both sides, you know, they they understood that, you know, that we were together, but there was no necessarily, there wasn't necessarily the same impetus to tie the knot or or whatever, just because of the nature of, and like, even when we did decide to get married, it still took us like a year and a half to do it because our schedule just kept getting pulled out from underneath us because of work. You know, it's just the way it goes. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And then, so how did you end up back in the States and in Los Angeles even?
3: Well, I just finished uh, another job in the UK for the BBC called Hotel Babylon, which, which is a really, really fun job. Um, sometimes it comes on um, on Amazon in the States. And if anybody likes Xander, they, they definitely enjoy my, my character's you know, uh, storyline on that show in the second season. And I just finished, and they weren't sure if they were going to do a third season or not. And at the time, I was auditioning for some, some big movies and some big pilots in the States. So I flew over to basically just do pilot season. And in the meantime, Carmen had been auditioning for Wicked, which was coming to London. Um, mm-hmm. She had basically taken a year off of musical theatre. She had enough and just needed to breathe out and do some jazz and just be a bit more expressive. Um, but then she had heard the music from Wicked and really liked it, but it was still like a brand new show. She was like, oh, I would audition for that. And then sure enough, they were really interested in her. Um, But the job they ended up offering her wasn't the London job. It was to come to the States. Um, So I just, like I said, I just finished my contract with the BBC and was already in the States. And we're like, well, let's just move. Let's just see what happens, see if we can get something going uh, in America. And the first place that she did Wicked was actually Chicago, which is an amazing city that neither of us had really spent any time in before. And we were there for like nine months before she was whisked off to do like the wicked national tour for a year and so once that happened i just spent my time bouncing between either la london or wherever carmen was on her tour depending on work so uh, yeah that was the real shift and then once it started to be clear that both of our careers were now over here we just you know let the apartment in the uk go and just slowly moved everything over here and and that's it now. We're very American now. I mean, I've you know, been living in L.A. pretty much consistently since 2009 now, 2010. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the longest either. This, the apartment that we're in right now is the longest I've ever lived anyway.
0: Oh, really?
3: Well, since childhood, at least. But even then, mm-hmm. I think it's getting close because we moved around so much when I was a kid.
0: Do you feel like a true Angelino now?
3: Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I realized that when I started to like the rain. You know, because Scotch people, you know, you get plenty, if you're Scottish, you've seen plenty of rain and it used to blow my mind when i come over here and it starts to rain and all the Los Angelinos were like, oh, it's so lovely when it rains. It's so
2: great when it rains. And you'd be like, Ugh,
3: this is like my natural habitat. I don't need this. But now I'm the same. I love the rain in LA. So that I think to me, you know, I studied in New York and I spent a huge amount of time over there as well. And when I realized that I was a bit of a New Yorker was when I started to be able to confidently give people directions. Like tourists would ask me where things were and I'd be able to answer accurately. And I could see the look on their faces. They'd be like, well, can we trust you? You've got a British accent. I was like, no, I know (laughs) what I'm doing. I'm not saying. It really felt like I was an honorary New Yorker because of that. So yeah, I think liking the rain is the LA equivalent. Right.
0: That's a good feeling when you're in New York
3: and
1: you can give directions. Was Days the first soap you ever auditioned for?
3: Oh, well, it's a, bit, a little bit of a weird meandering um, path I took to it because my first, it was right around when Carmen was starting Wicked, um, or just, sorry, just finished Wicked, but it was, it was in that period um, when we were still like finding out, are we going to be in London? Are we going to be here? Can of want to be here? Is, are we here? Are we doing it? I was right around there and Carmen was on tour somewhere. I think she was actually, or maybe she was rehearsing in New York um, for a different show, but, um, I was in LA doing part season and it gotten really close to like a job that I really, really, really wanted so desperately and then didn't get it. I was about to fly to New York to meet Carmen with my tail between my legs. And my agents called up and they're like, Hey, um, I know you don't want to do a soap opera, but days of our lives are asking if you can come in and cover for a character called EJ for a week because the actor, you know, has, has a health issue And um, they would just pay you a bunch of money to sit and learn scripts just in case you need to run in and do one. And I was like, huh? well, how hard can it be? Yeah, let let me do it. I'll do that. sounds great. And so I told Carmen, I'm going to stay an extra week because I'm getting paid this money to do this thing. It was all great, except for then all the scripts turned up. It was like eight scripts. And I was like, how am I supposed (laughs) to memorize? I had no idea how you could even begin to memorize that amount of material. I just, you know, so I just like would just sit there and just by myself, like I was staying at my buddy's lovely house in Hollywood Hills. So it wasn't that bad, but still, I just sit there all day, learning lines, learning lines until about 2.30 when I would know that I wasn't getting called that day and then throw that script away and pick up the next one, just start memorizing, 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 (laughs) just hoping they wouldn't call. And then luckily James you know, did every episode, so I didn't get called in. And um at the end of it they paid me the money, which I was amazed by. I just couldn't believe they were actually gonna pay me for, for doing what I'd done. And I think to be fair, by Wednesday I'd just given up on memorising. It's just they're not gonna call me in. <laughs> <laughs> and then luckily they didn't. And um but at the end of it, um the lovely uh, casting director Marnie, and I think it was Greg Meng, like sat me in their office and like, Hey, would you would you be interested in doing the show? And I was so cocky back then. Like I said, you know, I was getting close to all these big jobs. I was like, eh, I'm good. Like, I'm for the money, but eh, it's not really good for me. And my wife's on the East Coast and then she's going to be on tour and I just don't know if I want to be stuck in one place for a year or years at a time. And just all of that. Uh, so I, but to their credit, they were very patient and pretty much every year or maybe even every six months, they would send through an audition or, just like get my interest if I, you know, if I was maybe thinking about coming on the show and then it, you know fast forward literally 10 years almost and um carmen was doing a show in san diego and days came back around and it was like oh it'd be kind of lovely to have two paychecks and for us both to be you know working in the same place at the same time for a protracted period of time and you know like yeah san diego is not right next to burbank but it's, it's only a two-hour drive compared to flying coast to coast like we usually have to do. It just seemed very uh, convenient. So I was like, all right, let's just do it and see if it works. And the thing, I was very nervous about it because of all the material and all the memorization and all that. The, the thing that ended up really surprising me about it was that I actually really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the speed of it and the, the whole process of it. and really enjoyed the, um, the work environment, the, the people that work at Days. or Not just the actors, like the crew, everything. You know, it's just a lot of fun. It's a really fun place to work. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up kind of loving it. And then was devastated when they let me go the first time. Um, Cause I was originally on a one year contract. Uh, and I think I did maybe three or four months of it. The, on that first run right before the, they brought a bunch of like famous, uh, you know, days veterans back for the 50th anniversary. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Right. And you know,
3: they, they changed the writing staff and a lot of changes happened. So, you know, obviously it wasn't, I didn't take it personally, but it happened to me personally and it sucked. <laughs> um, but, I remember even when they let me go, they were saying, look, you know, this, this isn't about you, it's about, you know, the, what we're trying to do for the, for the anniversary and everything, and we're not going to kill you, we're just going to, like, tuck you off to the side. so we'd love to be able to bring you back at some point. I was like, yeah, we'll, we'll see, I guess. <laughs> I <being> like, was well, <laughs> super happy about it, but then, to be fair, they, and it's a big part of what has been my relationship with the show over the past, like, five years or so I've been doing it, was everything they've ever said they, with me, they've done like, they've never let me down in that regard, I've never lied to me, um, never told me something just to kind of, like, cheer me up or, or, or keep me on the hook kind of thing. Like, they've always been very honest. And sure enough, within, I think it was within six months of being let go the first time, they asked me back for that fun little stint with Orpheus and Clyde where we were, like, holding the town hostage and all of that. Right. And then were you that,
0: surprised?
3: It, yeah. yeah I was. really I was made in, good I was, on I was, it? Yeah, I was, because you, know, you just think, you know, you stay in this business long enough, you just get used to not, not people lying to your face, but people making promises that they're not necessarily in a position to you know, guarantee. And that wasn't the case. They've always been just, you know, they've always been great with me, at least. And um, but I was in New York when I got the call. and My agents were like, are you sitting down? Because <laughs> they knew how cause I, I, I was just frustrated by the original um firing or whatever just because my material hadn't aired yet you know we shoot so far even back then we were shooting three or four months ahead of what was airing and um you know so it just felt weird to have been let go before the audience had even had a chance to react to the character you know what I mean right. Um but then luckily you know enough of the audience seemed to dig Xander and they found excuses to bring me back and bring me back and then I really enjoyed that whole period of, of just coming in, causing trouble and then leaving again, like either he goes to jail or he goes to his Greek island or, you know, just comes in and creates mischief. Um, it was just a really fun, um, wonderful job to have, you know, like mm-hmm. it allowed me to do other things. I could do all my writing, I could do my, uh, my own little projects. I could do guest stars on primetime shows. Um, it allowed me to, freedom to travel to wherever Carmen was. It was just a lovely, lovely arrangement. And so after like a couple of years of that, I was very ready, you know, when they asked if I'd like to do another contract to, to say yes. Cause I really understood the show at that point and mm-hmm. just, you know, what the, what was required, what was required of me, what was required of our time and just how, you know, it's one of the nicest uh, work schedules you can possibly get. I mean, you know, we, we work three weeks on one week off. So even if calm is a way I can, you know, I can just get a flight over to New York or wherever she is very easily so we we never have to go more than a a few weeks without seeing each other it's uh, very tolerable (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: Um, now really since you started and actually before you even played Xander you were cast as Damon who was a henchman of Victors which was brief but you've been working with John Aniston you know pretty much since the start Um, tell us about your relationship with him and just working (laughs) with him
3: well I just feel really lucky Because, you know, John, just in terms of like a, a role model to have as a, not just as an actor, but specifically as a, as a, how to do it on, on daytime. Like his economy, his understanding of what his character's place in the show is, you know, what he brings to it, his gravitas, just, just everything. But on the performance side of it, but it's more about, John behind the scenes he's just so uh, veteran's not even the right word like he's like you know just uh, he's so good at what he does that all the all the things that most actors do to get ready for a scene he just does automatically and is sublimated years and years and years ago so it just all just flows through and um, he's still at 84, 85 years of age um, an absolute you know, uh, machine when it comes to his dialogue. Um, Like, they still give him tons of dialogue and he just rattles it off, no problem at all. Um, And he's very, very, very dry and very funny. I remember the the first time i have been on the show for maybe two months, two and a half months. And, you know, to be fair to the the veterans that have been on the show for for decades, they don't really notice new cast members until, I mean, they'll say hello and they're, they're everybody's friendly. But they're not going to like dig in and like make a relationship with you until they get the sense that oh you're sticking around, huh?
2: okay, which
3: <laughs> like, is totally fair enough. And um, so I remember I've been on it for like two, two maybe three months when I was the first time I was invited into his room to to run lines. And uh, so you know, it was very honoured and, and excited because other, otherwise you know we just run lines quickly in the, the dressing room or in, sorry in the in the makeup room or just on set before we go. But to be invited in to actually work on the scene, I was very, uh, very honored.
0: But were you even surprised after having played Damon that they created the role of Xander for you?
3: Well, that's what blew my mind about it. Because I, I, I was down in San Diego when I got that call. Because the Carmen had gotten the job in San Diego when I was offered the Damon job. And she was just starting rehearsal. But by the time, you know, there, I think there was a good like, month or six weeks in between you finish it. I only did like four, maybe six episodes as Damon um and they were just you know quick little scenes nothing like being on contract and um so i thought it had gone away i was like well they felt like that went well but you know whatever take the money and run i I really wasn't I, i was hoping for more work but i wasn't like um you know betting my career on it or whatever or whatever i was you know auditioning and everything was fine i was also doing a lot of like video game stuff at that time um which is actually kind of exciting I was doing a big new Call of Duty game with Kevin Spacey and so a lot of my attention was being taken that way and um so I was like okay well dude, the soap comes back great if not no worries so when they called back I just assumed they were bringing Damon back you know like why wouldn't they and they're like no 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 it's, it's a different character this is going to be is you know at the time he was called Drake which was which just freaked me out because of Drake Ramore from Friends so I was like oh no I'm really that means, that means I'm Joey oh no um, so I was in San Diego and the head writer called me up. The only time I ever talked to that, to the head writer, um, which is, you know, kind of weird before you take a job that might, you know, take up years of your life to just have like a quick, like sketch of, well, he basically, he's a, he's a charming psychopath. Got it. And I was like, yeah. So can I ask? He's like, okay, goodbye. I was like, all right,
2: fine.
3: <laughs> it's to Um, But yeah, I was just shocked that they would really just, you know, have a six week break, give me a haircut and be like, here's a completely different guy. Same accent, same face, same everything, but he's a different person. And (laughs) to be fair, it worked. A lot of people, when, um, you know, even now, a lot of people, oh, I forgot you played that Damon character. Or more than that, I remember at the time when it started to air, there were plenty of people that just didn't click. That it was, you know, how much do you really look at, you know, if you watch the show every day, And there's a character that turns up for five or six episodes, you know, and we make 300 episodes a year. How how much do you really pay attention to somebody who has, you know, that few scenes Um, compared to like, you know, when Xander came on and all of a sudden I was in every other episode. Uh, It was just, the thing that was odd about it to me was I really dug the Damon thing just because it was very straightforward, you know, kind of sexy henchman guy could see lots of like ways in which that could be useful. And to me, I wasn't expecting to be as busy as I was with Zander. Zander was a much more like leveraged in character, who like had a family history that they were just making up as they went along, and was going to have this whole thing with Nicole and maybe something with Teresa as well. They were just like setting up all these things in all these different directions. And I remember just being shocked early on at just how much I—you know—I'd be doing like between four and nine episodes shooting a, a week, you know, which wow.
2: is mm-hmm.
3: you know and. That was my nightmare, you know, like years before when they hired me to do the standby thing. How oh, can I read all these scripts? Um, but, you know, when you have to do it, you, you, your body, your mind, whatever, just finds a way to do it. And so I just, you know, I think a month in, even I'd forgotten I'd played Dayton because it was just, you know, the onslaught of material and just how different the whole standard thing was. I just kind of um, let it go. But it's funny because I still see, you know, every now and then, like uh, people on Twitter will be like, "Oh, today was Paul Telfer's first appearance as Damon. Today, you know, this is the anniversary of Paul's first appearance as Xander, or whatever." And there's always people, going, "Oh yeah, Damon, I, I forgot about that." And um, so it is, it is nice to to see it and think about what what could have been, you know, if I you know just played that character a little bit more. But mm-hmm. um, but I'm very so. I mean, to be fair, like Xander's really funny and has always been kind of written to have this. Um, mischievous kind of like humor to him even when he's being terrible mm-hmm. and it's probably the biggest reason why the you know, to the degree the characters persisted that's probably why so i'm I'm really grateful for the shift.
1: was there ever
0: a time like when you would get scripts and see what xander was doing and be like oh god they're not going to be able to come out <laughs> of this or he won't come well, out
3: well, i used to do that early on um you know because i was totally new to daytime didn't really understand how it all worked like and also we weren't getting feedback from the audience because my stuff hadn't aired. And I remember, you know, at first he was kind of gray and you didn't know if he was a goodie or a baddie. And then you saw him being kind of like mean to Serena. And you know, oh, maybe he is bad, but maybe he's only bad with her. So still being nice to the other ones. And then all of a sudden the character just went evil. And I was like throttling Nicole, like trying to murder her and then like locking Eric and Nicole in a in a pizza oven. And I was like, oh, well, and I just, and also that's when they they started to kind of like fake kill me. Like I get like hit in the back of the head or shot or hit in the back of the head and it would make it look like I was dead. And then, no, I was taken down to the basement to be tortured by Victor and his thugs and all this kind of thing. And I was like, oh, I'm worried that maybe they're going to fire me. And I talked to Ari about it. She's like, no, here's all the terrible things that Nicole has done. Here's all <laughs> the terrible things that, that and she would just list off all the different characters who were ostensibly goodies that had done all these awful things she was just like don't worry about it i was like oh okay and then literally like three weeks later they let me go and i was like oh okay never mind oh, um sorry. <laughs> exactly, exactly but she knew what she was talking about because you know within a few months after that I, I was back again um so yeah that was i have to say though that was part of what made the whole thing good for me was that the, the then the more I was asked to play him as like full on evil and, and crazy and scary. Well, that's, you know, up until that point, I would played a couple of bad guys, but for the most part, I played kind of like either heroic characters or, or guest stars. And I played some crazy characters. Like my character on who was, you know, dealing with post-traumatic stress and like steroid psychosis and all this kind of stuff. So there was a lot like to play there, but he wasn't evil. Um, so I actually feel really lucky that they shifted the character so so nasty early on, even though it probably pre- precipitated my um, early leaving the show because it set up all the things that now pay off. Because to be fair, you never, <laughs> re- certainly recently, Alexander tries to do a lot of evil things and he tries to do this and he tries to do that, but for the most part, he's not particularly successful. So you know, the degree to which he is still perceived as a threat or dangerous or scary, whatever, is mostly just the way I play it. Plus that lingering, you know, audience memory of how he was when he, you know, kind of like first showed up, you know, before everything, um, before, you know, before he was forced to become a gardener and, and sent off to prison by, by Teresa. Um, so yeah, like for me, at least my biggest fear about being on a soap opera was just kind of having a character that was just kind of dull you know what I mean like just somebody Mm -hmm. who's just there to you know stitch together scenes or you know is is just kind of inert and Xander's never been that like you know I I know parts of the audience like certain stories we do with Xander and don't like other parts of it and vice versa there's people that like the sweet side and hate it when I'm mean to women and there's people that love all the nasty side and hate it when I'm sweet to women (laughs) so it's like you know well I mean but you can't make everybody happy all the time and you, you'll go crazy if you try. Um, but I do feel that that's better than everybody just being like,
2: Neh.
3: I mean, he's on the show. He's, he's there. <laughs> right,
2: I'd he's much fine. rather
3: have like a strong reaction, you know what I mean? And, and have things to do. And yeah. so I feel really lucky that they've always given me lots of uh, meaty nonsense to play.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned Ari. She's been one of your most frequent scene partners over the years. Tell us about your relationship with her.
3: Well, again, I just always felt so lucky with the pairings that I got, especially early on, because you know Ari is a fantastic performer. You know, she's so uh, truthful and just right there with you. Uh, you can look right in the eye and just, you know, you just see her like smiling behind her eyes, regardless of what's going on the scene. She loves it, and she really loves to prepare. She rehearses properly. She, you know, literally will do blocking in our dressing rooms and just really get stuff sharp and. That was where, you know, my um, real, uh, the beginnings of whatever daytime craft I have now, all of it has its origin in the way Arian would prepare. You know, I'd I'd come in and, you know, uh, I'd scribble little notes on my, my script when we were getting blocking or whatever. But Ari would be making like copious and detailed notes, not just from what the director was saying on the blocking, but like ideas and, you know, like, what if we did this? What if we did that? And a lot of people on the show, even though you know, they're great, they won't necessarily take the time to do all that extra work that mm-hmm. Ari, Ari always did. And so I was like, well, if she's been on the show for decades or two. Or at that point, she'd been on like for 15 years, 20, 19 years or something. Um, and she's still you know, treating it this seriously with this level of care. Then I should be doing that too, because I'm new. You know, and so it really kind of like stuck me with the work ethic. And um, And also you just see... In the work, like I always felt that my scenes with her were so good, precisely because we were prepared and we'd rehearsed. And you could actually, once you do all that, you can really kind of like relax in a scene and just—you're not worried, you're not like trying to protect yourself, and you don't feel self-conscious. You can just, you can just go, you can just act. And so once that started to happen, I, I could get into that uh, mindset and that level uh, with her, then I would really start to enjoy working there. And so yeah, I mean, we don't get as many you know, just Xander-Nicole scenes as we used to. Um, But I still always love it when I, you know, even if we're sharing a scene with other actors, I always feel really lucky when I get to work with Ari. And yeah, a huge amount of that is just because the Xander-Nicole relationship is fantastic. I mean, because because of how strange, I guess, my introduction to the show was, and then me coming in and out the way I did, um, so much of that is tied up in him torturing Nicole, and then even that the nature of that torture has this kind of like funness to it, especially like later on, um, where he just loves to, you know, like twist the the knife, or or you know, be sarcastic with her, or or threaten her, or whatever it might be. But there's always this undercurrent of um, God, I used to really, really fancy you, and I tried
2: to, <laughs> you <laughs> think about all
3: the all the things he did like to try and like make her. Um, reciprocate his feelings, and then once that was never going to happen, all the things he did just to like torture it with the fact that he wasn't going to let go of his feelings and you know just messing with it and I, also one of the weird things that happened, I think was even if fans didn 't like Xander, they really liked what he represented as a catalyst for um Eric and Nicole, and there was a lot of like good Eric and Nicole angst that. And you know, romance that specifically came out of Xander's antagonism. And so I think I ended up getting some, like, you know, inherited unintentional goodwill from certain parts of the audience that a villain wouldn't necessarily get just because I'd accelerated you know, the romance that they did care about.
1: When Sarah entered Xander's life and they fell into bed, it sort of started a new era for Xander. Uh, tell us first off about your real life relationship and friendship with Sarah's portrayer Lindsay Godfrey.
3: Well, it was funny because I was—I'd been off the show for like, maybe maybe six months, or it was a, it was during a period where I was off the show for a while, and um, you know, I'm good buddies with Breck and her boyfriend, and we just bumped into each other, and he was like, "Oh, hey, my 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 girlfriend's on on your show. You have to say hello to." her. I was like, "Well, I'm I'm not on days at the moment, but if I ever go back, then of course, I, you know, I'll, I'll say hi." And so then they asked me back, and the first script I get is me like hitting on Sarah. And then I, you <laughs> know, Google, oh, that's the character that Lindsay plays. So I just texted like in a little, uh oh, you know, like, you know, this, this could be complicated. Kind of
2: this
3: <laughs> is a joke. And then sure enough, like every script got more like, come into the hot tub with me, Sarah. And then all of a sudden, Nari's like, you know, they're, they're having like a drunken passionate one night stand. I was like, oh, I should stop sending this stuff to Breck, and he's not going to think it's funny anymore <laughs> um but yeah so it just made life a lot easier obviously to have that ice broken before we even met like of having you know sharing a like one of our favorite people if you know what i mean and um you know to have that in common and have that to talk about and then more than anything you know Lindsay's very like Ariane; she's super prepared takes her job of, like She doesn't take herself seriously, but she takes the job seriously. You know what I mean? So, like, she's always like fun, but she wants to work. She wants to do good work. She wants to narrow lines and have you narrow your lines and, you know, just be able to rock and roll when she gets the scene going. So, I just feel really fortunate, you know, with all the partners that I've had, but to be finally given a legitimate romantic pairing that isn't just, you know, going to be unrequited and, and, you know, have me put them in a cage or kidnap their. Child, yeah. uh, although I, I did, I, I kind of, I didn't kidnap a child this time around, but obviously there was some chicanery involved with children. Yeah,
2: <laughs> a little, know, like,
3: just a little bit. Yeah. He, he is who he is, but he has <laughs> the habits that he has. Um, but yeah, I just feel really lucky that to to have been paired with someone who, uh, you know, at the end of a, a long day of like crying over our kidnapped cancer baby, <laughs> we can have a laugh, <laughs> Do you know what I mean and and just like hang out and you know blow off steam. It's very lucky
0: mm-hmm. um now, speaking of the baby switch, um how did you react when you heard that Xander was going to be the one who switched the babies?
3: Well, I mean, I kind of assumed you know if there was any baby switching going on, he'd probably be in the the middle of it um <laughs> I, I was just for, for me, I was glad because I was struggling a little bit with um not, not the changes to Zander, I feel like in a lot of ways he he's stayed the same, really. It's just his, um, instead of uh, being un- unashamedly and unapologetically, you know, evil or nefarious or selfish, now he was having to cover a lot, a lot of that and, and swallow it and kind of bury it, but still operate in much the same way. Um because instead of doing um bad things for bad reasons he was starting to do in his mind bad things for good reasons and that was the one thing i had said to the the writers when they were saying look look we're going to soften Xander. we want to you know he's not going to be a goodie but we're going to like try and you know bring him this way and i was like well that that's fine i'm, I'm you know obviously i was very wary of changing too much about him because as i said earlier it's good to have a fun character it's good to have like a a catalyst character that comes in and, and causes trouble I and mean, you've always got something to do and I was very worried about getting stuck into a kind of like stasis on the show um, but so I was like so long as he remains an antagonist you know as long as he's still doing things then I'll, I'll be happy um, but the, the main thing was that I, I felt that the shift should be instead of doing bad things for bad reasons and never doing good things why not have him do bad things for good reasons and good things for bad reasons. Cause then I always get that subtext to play and the audience can never be sure if he's being nice to Maggie because he likes Maggie or if he's just trying to get into her good graces mm-hmm. for Sarah. And is he being nice to Sarah because he loves Sarah or does Sarah just represent to him all this legitimacy and, you know, a way to like, you know, get into the family finally and to be locked in and to kind of like steal her legitimacy as his own, you know what I mean? And to finally create himself into this person that he's been saying he wants to be forever which is like you know the the prodigal returning you know uh leader of of titan and the Kyriakis family you know so it was always nice to have those undercurrents when i play things because you're never sure on a show you know they don't tell us what's coming they don't give us a lot of heads up about what's going to happen to the character for a bunch of reasons that i'm I do understand, but it doesn't make it any less frustrating sometimes because you just want to know. <laughs> but I'll play it this: way. if I know that he's going to turn out to be evil, I'll play it this way. But if I know if he's going to turn out to be, you know, true, true of heart, and he does love her, then I'll play it that way. Um, but you know, a lot of times they haven't really made those decisions yet. They're just, you know, okay. shaping things and seeing where it goes. So I still have to make a strong choice, at least internally. And uh, right. so that's, you know, I feel lucky that um, to have a character that has subtext to play and to try and chart this transition, even though I don't really know what the full arc of it is, has been tricky, but also a lot of fun. So,
1: Now, I don't think you'll find many Days fans who would complain about this, but Xander is shirtless an awful lot. Uh, you seem to have a really good sense of humor and attitude about that.
3: I mean, yeah, you kind of got it, right? <laughs> <laughs> you could complain, but it was like, Um no, I mean, I, I understand that it's part of the medium, it's part of the job. And to be fair, I've only had like maybe two or three acting jobs my whole career where I didn't have to take my shirt off at some point. Um, I was joking with, you know, my movies coming out in two weeks, you know, this the film I made with, uh, um, I, I wrote and, and produced and, and acted in, uh, with some good friends down here, we've been trying to get something going for a while, and we've finally made a film, we sold it to Lionsgate, and it's going to get this full cool video on demand release on uh, the 14th. And I was joking with him, he's like, I can't believe you didn't make me take my shirt off in our movie. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, of, I really am shocked. So like, I just would have assumed we would have done that. Um, yeah, for me, the only time I get eggy about it is when you know like the first script you get after like the christmas break the very first scene is zander fresh from shower and it's like oh if i could just have it 10 more days or like just a week more to like run a couple of extra miles to you know just cut out the potatoes a little bit sooner you know like oh, that's that's the only thing but that's my fault but it's very hard to stay like in camera ready shape year round, like, um, you know, Robert Scott Wilson does a very good job. But he's, also a little, he's also a little bit younger than me. Um, but yeah, like that's the only thing where sometimes, or, or, or sometimes it's the nature of the scenes that you do in shirtless. It's like one thing to do a romantic scene shirtless. It's another thing to do a, a jogging through Horton town square scene shirtless. It's a whole nother thing to have like a romantic, uh, sorry, a, a sensitive, um, heartfelt conversation in your underpants or a, um, or a business meeting, which I'd very often have to do like these big, like shouting, like business arguments with like Brady or whoever. And I've done more than one of those, like just, you know, in a towel. <laughs> so <it's, laughs> Those ones can be a bit like, Ugh. but at the end of the day, you know, it's part of the job and it's part of the fun. And I guess, like I say, like, I'd, I'd be complaining if they didn't want me to take my shirt off.
0: <laughs> right. Right. Um, okay, and plug your movie. Tell
3: us about it. Oh yeah, so it's called Green Rush. It's based on a true story. It's a very nasty, exciting, quite scary uh, thriller. It's not a horror film, but it it's 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 R rated, and it's uh, based on a uh, an event that happened to a friend of ours, who was a, a cannabis farmer up in Northern California, and you was involved essentially in a, in a home invasion robbery where some of the people that work for him kind of betrayed him and tried to steal all his cash and, and weed and he fought back. And uh, so it's it's a nasty little action thriller set on a weed farm. Uh, it's very exciting. I play it's There's just no question. It's the best performance I've ever done. That's on film. I mean, most of the best I always joke to Carmen, like most of my best acting was in auditions for jobs. I didn't get, yeah. but, this job, char- like this character's his name's ticker and he's a Scottish um, psychopath a sexual predator and uh, just a very dangerous um violent character um but also very charming and quite funny and weirdly seductive so I, I got to play with a lot of the stuff that I've been developing over the years on days of our lives and just kind of unleash it on an r rated uh, platform as opposed to a daytime platform which was really 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 satisfying and obviously quite liberating because there's there's things you can do on daytime tv and there's things you can do on an r-rated movie and um it was nice to kind of like have those strictures taken off of me and be able to like really go for it so uh, i think if anybody enjoys xander they would enjoy ticker if they but they might have to watch some of the little bits of the movie through their fingers because it gets a bit scary
0: Mm Um, and before we let you go, there is obviously going to be some exciting story coming up ahead for Xander without giving too much away. He is right about to marry Sarah, where we are um, on camera, um, or on screen. What could you say we should expect to happen in the next few weeks for your character?
3: Yeah, there's a lot of him finally having to reckon with the kind of person he, he really is and um, that may trying to be a good guy trying to force it wasn't right either because it still led to him doing terrible things. So maybe he needs to be a bit more honest with himself about what he, what he actually is.
0: Yeah. Well, we definitely look forward to seeing it. And thank you so much for joining us today.
3: Oh, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun.
0: Have a great day. Thanks so
1: much. Have a good one.
3: Cheers, girls. Cheers. All right. Bye.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Paul Telfer for being our guest. If you like this podcast, we're on Spotify. So listen on Spotify. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast.